Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. The Bible repeatedly says, fear not. I have been told that it says that 365 times, meaning one for each day of the week. I tried to verify that and had a very difficult time because it depends on what translation you're using, what version of the Bible and whether or not it's translated fear not or do not fear or and it got a little difficult to verify that I was able to determine that at least in the translation I used the word fear itself appears 367 times so I'm not sure that's accurate but I suspect that it probably applies this much is certain the reality is that we are frequently faced with a fearful situation. And it can range from all kinds of things. Uh, it can be something like fear that you're going to lose your job. I think one of the most common fears is our health is affected in some way, and if it's a serious disease, you can't help but fear that maybe it is terminal. You remember being in a fearful situation? How many times? Well, what do you do in that situation? Well, if you know any, if you know the Lord, know anything at all about the Bible. Matter of fact, even if you don't know the Lord, what do people do when they get in those kind of situations? They pray. pray. Exactly right. Now, let's suppose you prayed, and the Lord answered, and you got delivered out of that fearful situation. Then what do you do? You thank the Lord, right? All right. There is a psalm where the psalmist was in a fearful situation. He undoubtedly prayed, and the Lord delivered him. It's a very interesting situation, I might add. We'll get to that in a minute. And he then wrote a psalm to praise the Lord. But he did something else besides just praise the Lord. And it's that something else that I want us to particularly pay notice to as we go through this psalm. So some of what I'm going to say in this psalm, you know, and some perhaps may be a little different. So with that in mind, will you turn with me to Psalm 34, the 34th Psalm. Now while you're turning to that passage, I want to point out that there is in the Psalms sometimes a little notation before verse 1. That is called a superscription. In some cases, it simply says a Psalm of David, as it does, in, for example, in Psalm 35. Sometimes it doesn't have a notation at all. Psalm 32 says, a psalm of David, a contemplation. 
But Psalm 34 says, a psalm of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. Now, what is that all about? Well, before we look at the psalm itself, I just want to comment that scholars grapple with those little statements. They, most Bible-believing scholars say they are probably not inspired, but they are very ancient, according to the manuscripts that we have, and uh, they are probably accurate. So most would say that this is a hint as to what's going on in the psalm. So I just want to point that out. The second thing I would say about this psalm in general, and you can't tell this by reading it in English, but if you read it in Hebrew, you will notice that every verse starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in Hebrew, not the 26 we have in English, and each verse starts with a different letter, and it goes straight through the alphabet. Now, it leaves one of those letters out, and then the last verse doesn't fit that. Now, that little literary technique is called an acrostic. So, for whatever it's worth, I thought I would mention the superscription and the acrostic. But what we are most interested in is that's the way he says it. Perhaps that's why he said it, but what does he say? Well, basically, this passage tells us two things. And the first thing it does is it simply talks about praise. So let me start with the first part of the passage and talk about praise for a second. Look, for example, at verse 1. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul shall make boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Now, there's more which we'll look at in a second, but let me just pause here and say, he starts out saying, I will bless the Lord, meaning I will praise the Lord. Remember, he says that. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Now, that little superscription indicates that perhaps this is when he feigned madness. Now, that's a reference to a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 21 where David was in fear of his life and he ran to a Philistine king. Now, the Philistines were the enemies of Israel. So he runs to this king, and he didn't know but what the king wouldn't kill him. That was their enemy. So he feigned like he was insane. He uh, scratched on the door and let his saliva run down his uh, beard, and the king decided he didn't need any more insane people, and so he let him go. Now, I find this most fascinating. If that is the situation that produced this, David walks away praising the Lord. Could it be that the Lord used that weird way to get David out of that situation? And that leads me to say, yeah. 
As a matter of fact, if you read the scripture carefully, you know the Lord does all kinds of crazy things sometimes, at least what we might think is crazy. And there's a proverb that says the wrath will pray, the wrath of some people will praise him. Uh, a prostitute in Jericho <laughs> delivered the spies. I mean, it gets real crazy sometimes. So the Lord could even use you thinking, acting like you're nuts. And anyway, if that's the backdrop, and I think it is, then he says, you know what? I'm going to praise the Lord. Not just when he delivers me out of that fearful situation. I'm going to praise the Lord at all times. I'm just going to praise the Lord continually. Someone has said, if we were to bless the Lord at all times, it would hardly be too much. If his praise were continually on our lips, it wouldn't begin to exhaust the subject. No human tongue could ever be able to thank God adequately throughout all eternity. To that I say, amen and amen. But what I want to focus on, at all times. Can you praise the Lord when you are delivered? Easy. How about when you're not? I had a, an experience this week that sort of really drove this home to me. Somebody called me and asked me to visit somebody in the hospital. The fella in the hospital I had met before, he's attended this church maybe a couple of times in years gone by. They said he was in ICU and in serious condition. So I went, and he had been in a coma for three weeks and had an infection in his foot, and they amputated his leg. And I walked in that hospital room Thursday, and, and I just thought, wow, imagine uh, young, I mean, relatively young, from my point of view, young, middle-aged man, uh, and having your leg amputated. So it, it had a little bit of an impact on me. He was a little too droggy for me to, I mean, I was able to talk to him, but not in real depth. And then I was preparing for this message, and I came across this story. Uh, M.R. DeHaan, a Bible teacher of the 20th century that I admire, tells of visiting a double amputee who had been confined to a small room for months. As the man greeted Dr. DeHaan, who, by the way, was a medical doctor, he said, and I get the picture, Dr. DeHaan is uh, walking in this room, a man, double amputee, and the first words out of this man's mouth was, isn't God good? Can you praise God when you lose both legs? When you're confined to a room? Can you do it at all times? That's what David said. Dr. Com uh, Dr. DeHaan's comment was, here was a man completely bedfast, deprived of almost everything, and he still had the joy of the Lord, and his lips were filled with praise. His entire conversation exhibited a spirit of the psalmist who declared, that he would bless the Lord at all times. Wow. 
I think this is one of those cases where I should say amen and we go home and practice this for a week. You got it? What a lesson. But what fascinates me is verse 2. He says, my soul, my soul, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and they will be glad. So he begins by saying, I'm going to praise the Lord. But he very quickly morphs into, and I'm going to tell other people, and the humble are going to hear it, and they are going to be glad. I'm going to bless other people because I bless the Lord. And notice it says the humble. You can praise the Lord, and some people scoff at you. You ever had that happen? You ever talk about the Lord and have people mock you or scoff you? Or at least look down upon you? Well, those are the proud, the narcissist. According to the scriptures, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They aren't giving God credit. They're practical atheists, so to speak. Well, David says the humble will get it and they will be glad. So he gives a call and says in verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And here's the point. He got delivered from a fearful situation, which he calls a fearful situation later. And he did what? Praise the Lord. Publicly. He didn't do it privately. He did it so that others heard him and others praised the Lord. So the point is he invites others to praise the Lord. It's a call to praise the Lord. Not just you do it, but when you have opportunity to praise the Lord, tell somebody else and spread the blessing. They'll be glad, the humble at least, when they hear what God has done. By the way, verse, verse 3 is a very famous verse. Uh, I've heard of uh, married couples doing that. And, you know, they fall in love and they're going to get married. And actually, they've actually put that inside the wedding band. Let us magnify the Lord together. Uh, if you're not married, note that. All right. Now, what he does, he's still talking about praising the Lord. And he says in verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This is probably the key verse to explain why he went through all this to begin with. This is the verse that explains the backdrop of the passage. So what's going on? Well, I was in a fearful situation. I prayed. I sought the Lord. He delivered me. But he doesn't say he delivered me from that situation. He says he delivered me from all my fears. So this situation reminded him that he's prayed in other situations and the Lord had delivered him. And announces as he writes, the Lord has delivered me from all my fears. Now, um, you know, there was a time... I think as a young pastor, that I thought maybe you repeated yourself a lot, you'd bore people. The older I get, the more I change my mind about that. Because I didn't bore them, they just didn't hear it. 
So I've gotten to where I do a lot of repeating. And uh, I mean by that this. There's one or two verses I keep referring to, and if you don't know them, I'm a failure as a teacher. Uh, what verses do I expect you to know? Somebody said Hebrews 4.16, and you made my day. Class over, great. All right, Hebrews 4.16. If you don't know Hebrews 4.16, you don't know how to live life. I come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. We live by grace. All right, there's another passage. I don't quote it as much, but I'm going to, I do it every time I come to where it's appropriate. And that's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You know what that passage says? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your thanksgiving be known unto God. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now those are two verses you ought to know in your sleep. Throw in John 3.16 and you got it, all right? So I'm going to give you a pop quiz every once in a while and say, what are the three main verses you need to know, three passages? And you ought to put Philippians 4 in there. So David is saying, you know what? I practice Philippians 4 all the time and it works. (laughs) He's delivered me from my fears. He didn't say he always delivered me from the mess. But he delivered me from my fears, and I had peace. Ah. Ah. As I understand it, Abraham Lincoln didn't go to church very much. But according to what he said, he had a Bible beside his bed, and he read it every day. So I understand that during the critical years of the Civil War, If you opened his Bible, it would fall open to Psalm 34. And if you looked at the page, there was a smudge and a finger mark indicating that he read verse 4. Interesting. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Then he says, they looked to him, and were radiant. Their faces were not ashamed. Look at this. He goes back and again involves others. So I'm going to entitle this whole first section not just praise, but a call to praise. He's praising and inviting and exhorting others to praise. And he says, let me tell you, they looked to him, not just me, they looked to him, and they were radiant. Remember earlier he said they were glad? Now he says the gladness was on their face. Moses went up to Mount Sinai and met with the Lord, and he came down and his face shone. Let me ask you a question. You ever met anybody and you just knew by their expression they were believers? Patricia and I were talking about that the other day. Um, Met somebody and just said, that guy's a believer. Matter of fact, uh, I was in the hospital the other day with Pastor Mercado, and we were out in the waiting room, and somebody stopped and said, uh, excuse me, are you Christians? <laughs> and I said, guilty as charged. <laughs> Happened to be a pastor who has just come to California. 
at any rate, uh, they ought to be able to tell. Amen? Amen. Whether radiant on your face, they ought to be able to, we are different. If you've got peace and joy in your heart, which you ought to have if you're walking with the Lord, there ought to be something different about us. Now, we just don't walk around with a gloom face. Now, that isn't to say there aren't sad moments. I just had one. But it is to say there is peace in the midst of the fear. In the midst of the trial, he delivers me from all my fears. I heard a story of an older lady who boarded a bus and there was sitting across from her a man, and they engaged in conversation. And then she said to him, are you a minister? And he said, no, but I love the Lord. Why do you ask? And she said, because you have a Bible face. I don't know what a Bible face looks like, but I love it. <laughs> we need a Bible face, right? Amen. There's the joy of the Lord in your heart. It ought to show on your face. So he says in verse 6, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his trouble. Now, poor here doesn't mean he didn't have any money. Uh, it means he couldn't save himself. Uh, he says he was uh, helpless and hopeless. He was poor. He didn't have the strength or the wherewithal to get out of the trouble. And the Lord did it. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamped round about those who fear him and delivered them. Now, in other words, he's just saying the Lord delivered me. And he says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord delivered me. Now, I don't have time to go into a lot of detail with this, but the little expression, angel of the Lord, clearly in some passages in the scripture refers to God himself. And because it refers to the Lord and he's standing there, uh, scholars have concluded that's a pre-incarnate Christ. It's Christ appearing as an angel. Now, there are some times when the phrase angel of the Lord appears and it's not the Lord, but very often it is the Lord. And so he says, the Lord delivered me. But I want you to see the way he said it. The angel of the Lord encamped all around those who fear him and delivers them. He encampuses all around me. He's using a military metaphor and saying it's like the Lord's army marched up and surrounded us and delivered us. I've had a similar experience that once. One of the times I was in Israel, we pulled up to Samaria, which is not, it's in, it was in Israeli territory, but one of the trouble spots. And the bus stopped, and there wasn't anybody else in the parking lot but us. And immediately, the Israeli army showed up with machine guns on the back of their jeeps just to protect us. And I felt safe. <laughs> well, that's sort of what he's saying. The, 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 the Lord surrounded us. He encamped us. He was all around us. The Lord is there. Some ingenious Bible student said, according to the scripture, he is before us, Isaiah 48, behind us, Isaiah 30, to the right of us, Psalms uh, 16, to the left of us, Job 23, above us, Psalm 36, his everlasting arms are beneath us, Deuteronomy 33, and the Holy Spirit's in us. 
He has encompassed us. He has surrounded us. He's there. I think today we would simply say he's our bodyguard. He protects us. So look at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who trusts in him. Now he keeps in this passage, he weaves back and forth between himself and to others and he involves others again. And he's saying those who trust in the Lord experience genuine happiness. But what I like is he said, you taste the Lord and see if he's not good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Happy is the man who trusts the Lord. Taste and see if the Lord is not good. Did you ever taste something? You wanted to taste so good you wanted to share it? I don't think this will embarrass her. But I was looking at this today, uh, this week, and I thought, boy, I got the perfect illustration for that. Esty, as a matter of fact, I almost, told, I almost decided not to tell you this. I don't know whether I should tell you this or not. This is one of my secrets. But, but she usually saves some for me if I'm late getting there, so I'm going to tell you. She makes the most fabulous peach cobbler. Have you had Estes peach cobbler? Now, what is the natural reaction to eating Estes peach cobbler? You don't tell anybody <laughs> because you want seconds. That's what. But you normally, I've actually gone to my wife and said, oh, it's here. <laughs> and she also makes fabulous banana pudding. But anyway, uh, that's the idea. Taste and see if the Lord is good. You taste. You'll find out. You'll be happy if you do. That's what he's saying. Then he says in verse 9, oh, fear the Lord. You, his saints, there is no want of those who fear him. Uh, he's going to mention fear several times in this passage. He did back up in verse 4. So I need to say a word about fear. Uh, the fear of the Lord is an expression of the Bible that doesn't necessarily mean you're terrified. The basic idea is that you stand in awe and you reverence the Lord. Although, if you step out of line, you should be afraid. But that's not... The basic, the basic idea is just standing off. Uh, it's sort of like this. Um, the other day, I, I, I looked in my rearview mirror, and there was a police car behind me. Does that bother you? Yes. Is that a fearful situation? So here's what I did. I, but you really have that experience. I can see. <laughs> I got a reaction out of that one. Uh, I immediately did, I checked three things. Number one, am I speeding? Number two, is my seatbelt on? And number three, am I on my iPhone? I decided I'm in good shape, so I just respected the guy and I didn't fear him. If I had been speeding, oh, that would have been terrible. <laughs> or I didn't have my seatbelt on, or I was on my iPhone, then I would be afraid. If you understand that, you got the expression, fear of the Lord. Now, what I'm telling you is that in this passage, in the first 10 verses, he's talking about 
praising the Lord and inviting other people to do the same. He's calling people to, to praise the Lord. He has one more verse in his section. He says, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Apparently there are times when young lions occasionally cannot provide for their own, but he says that's not the case with the Lord. So you should praise him. Go back to verse 1, at all times. At all times. Continually. I've read this passage before, but I don't think it hit me like it did this time. in my personal time with the Lord and in the Word that has nothing to do with ministry or serving or preaching, I'm going through the Psalms. And I happened upon Psalm 119, verse 164, this week. And it said, Seven times a day I will praise you because of your righteous judgments. Seven times a day a day. And I thought, mm, mm, do I praise the Lord seven times a day? We're back to verse one. Praise the Lord continually at all times. Just praise the Lord. Now, I started out saying that if you've been delivered from a fearful situation, then you would, no doubt, uh, praise the Lord if he delivered you, right? Good. Now, let's, um, I said there was something else in here that he did. The rest of the passage is not a call to praise, it's a call to fear. Now, he's mentioned being in a fearful situation twice. Now, he says in verse 11, come, It's a call. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Interesting. His reaction was not only to say, hey, the Lord has delivered me. I'm praising him. Come, all of you, come, taste, see if the Lord is good. Praise him continually. He then says, and oh, by the way, you should fear him. Now, Again, I just mentioned, that doesn't mean you stand in terror of the Lord. Unless you step out of line, then you should be afraid. But you should just stand in awe of the Lord, reverence the Lord, and with the idea that you're going to obey the Lord. At this point, he says this, Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Fascinating passage of scripture. He says, fear the Lord. And then he tells you, if you want to if you desire life and you want a long life you want to see good now what verse 12 means is do you want a quality of life that could be called a good life that you want to live long okay 
but that you want to live long with a quality of life, not just a quantity of life. Then here's what he says do. He answers his own question. Keep your tongue from evil, verse 13, and your lips from speaking deceit. You know how to control your tongue? Did you ever say things you wish you hadn't said? James says that if you can control your tongue, you are a mature person. Isn't that incredible? What does that mean? If you can't control your tongue, what are you? Uh-oh. Moving right along. All right. Control your tongue. Keep it from e- speaking evil. Now look at verse 14. Depart from evil. So don't speak it. Don't do it. On the other hand, seek, just do good. Seek peace. By the way, I read the Bible, the more I'm, I'm impressed with how much it talks about peace. If there's a conflict, seek peace. Seek peace. You have peace with God if you've trusted Jesus Christ. Now seek peace. Now, he's giving this in answer to those who desire to really live a good life. I mean a quality of life, a happy life, as he's talked about previous to this, in this passage. Then here's what you do. Don't say things that are evil. Don't do things that are evil. Do good and seek peace. Why should you do that? Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. You want to be in the place where you can call on the Lord and he delivers you? Then he does that to the righteous. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off their remembrance from the earth. So the whole point now is fear the Lord. And fearing the Lord means I'm going to not speak evil, do evil, I'm going to do good, and I'm going to seek peace. That's what he says. Now what really fascinates me is that Peter quotes this passage. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he quotes verse 12, verse 13, verse 14, verse 15, and most, but not all, of verse 16. Only the way he does it is this. He says in 1 Peter 3, 9, knowing that we are called to blessing others, that we may inherit a blessing, then he quotes this passage. So he says, don't return evil for evil. If you're reviled, don't revile again. Rather, bless people. Do good. And he gets it from Psalm 34. So, here's what David says. Has the Lord blessed you? Has the Lord delivered you from fearful situations? Praise him. Get others to praise him. But let me add another wrinkle. That ought to teach you to walk with him in righteousness. And that means translated that you don't speak evil, you don't do evil, you do good, and you seek peace. And Peter says, and applies this to, no matter what people do to you, 
Bless them. Bless them. I think this is one of the most most incredible concepts in all of the Bible. The seed plot of the Bible is Genesis 12, the first three verses, where God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I want you to go bless the world. I'm going to bless the world through you. A veiled reference to the coming Messiah. But even beyond that, the Lord blesses us so we can bless others. Hear me, that is what's missing. So the Lord answers our prayer and the Lord delivers us. And what do we do? We praise him. Good for you. Then add a couple of things to that. Go tell somebody else so they can be glad. And go bless somebody. Anytime you're in a fearful situation, somebody's trying to do you it, just go bless them. Why would I want to do that? So he blesses you. That's what Peter says. That if you go bless people, you will inherit a blessing. Oh, this is rich stuff, man. Isn't that good? Tough, but good. All right, there's more. He says in verse 17, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their trouble. By the way, I want you to notice this. It does not say he delivers them from their trouble, but he delivers them out of their trouble. In other words, you're not immune to trouble. It's just that when you get in it, the Lord delivers you out of it, not from it. So here, let me give you a great lesson in life. Life is full of trouble. Job says, man's life is full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. Or to say that same thing another way, as sure as the sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening, there's going to be trouble. So the quicker you learn to trust the Lord and fear him, the better off you are going to be. A couple of more verses in this passage. He says in verse 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves those that have a contrite spirit. So he just said, if you're righteous, the Lord will bless you. And then you say, well, I messed up. I sinned big time. So the Lord is going to bless me, right? Hear me. The Lord is near those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. The same kind of thing David exhibited in Psalm 51 when he confessed his sin with Bathsheba. And he came and said, you'll not reject that, Lord. So hear me. This is, this is just such good stuff. If you've messed up royally, then just hightail it to the Lord as quick as you can get there. Because he just, he's touched by people who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Wow. He says in verse 10, many the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of all of them. He guards them, all of his bones, and not one of them is broken. Oh, that's an interesting verse. 
the idea is that you're being a, there's some cruel oppression, and yet he will not allow your leg to be broken. So there may be some oppression and suffering, but there's a limit. Now what's interesting about that verse is that it's quoted in John 19.36 where the Lord was being crucified and they didn't break his bones and John says it fulfills this verse that what happened to the Lord is an illustration of this. So he applies it to Christ on the cross. And he ends the passage with two more verses saying, Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate righteousness shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the souls of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. So, I've slid through the last part of this passage rather rapidly, but the point of the passage is this. As a matter of fact, the point of the whole chapter is this. I just got delivered out of a very fearful situation. And so here's what I did. I praised the Lord. I told others so they could praise the Lord. I invited others to praise the Lord. And I learned, just go serve the Lord. Fear the Lord. Don't do evil. Don't hurt anybody. Do good. And the Lord will bless you even more. So when you, the Lord does something for you and you praise him, that's good, but that isn't the whole story. Go publicly praise him. Go tell some other people. And go bless somebody. In short, if the Lord has blessed you, then you go bless somebody else. So in the latter part of this passage, he says, fear the Lord. Don't fear the situation Fear the Lord. Make sure you do what the Lord says. So you're either going to fear the situation or you're going to fear the Lord. Your choice. That good stuff? Glad you came. Did you learn anything? Is there something you can put in your pocket and take away? All right. I want to tell you what I took out of this. A couple of things. One of which is, I walked away from this passage thinking, you know what? The Lord hears the cry of his children. I was in this terrible, terrible mess, and I cried, and the Lord delivered me. The Lord blessed me. And I'm thinking, isn't that just like the Lord? The Lord blesses us. Now, you'll forgive me if I make the parallel. But, I, but seriously, it's the best illustration I can think of. Isn't that just like a mother? What's the characteristic? A mother hears the cry. I remember many, 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 many years ago when I heard a mother say, oh, the baby's crying, but that's not serious. Yeah. I said, the baby's crying. How do you know that? She knows. Right? Mother knows. I learned. You know. The Lord knows. The Lord knows. 
There was a man who took a tour to a large sheep ranch in Australia at shearing time. During the visit, the guide took a baby lamb and placed it among the thousands of other sheep. It was a very noisy ordeal. But that little lamb started crying. And across the pen, through all the noise, the mother of that little lamb heard the cry and made her way. Despite the noise and confusion, she heard the cry of her frightened offspring. And the author writing the story said, Don't you imagine the object of God's special care is ever beyond the reach of his attention? The Lord hears the cry of those who are his children, and he comes to their aid. This passage says, the Lord hears. The Lord hears. But I walked away with something else from this passage. And that is, I was struck over and over with how this ought to affect other people. I mean, how many times did I say that? How many times does David say it? Hey, come, let us magnify the Lord together. You, bless the Lord. You, fear the Lord. So our joy ought to be apparent to others, not just because we talk about it. He goes so far as to say in verse 5, it ought to radiate from your face. You ought to have a Bible face. So just praise the Lord all the time. Fear the Lord, meaning trusting in every situation, all the time. And let your light shine on your face, out of your mouth, and by your actions. Just shine so that others can enjoy the Lord. Ellie Maxwell tells the story of a group of prospectors who began a long, wearisome search for gold. The expedition was so difficult that several of them died. Discouraged, they started back. They stopped at a creek, and one of them casually picked up some rocks from the flowing stream, and he called to his buddies, and the two of them discovered that they had accidentally found gold. They panned for the rest of the afternoon. They found several nuggets. The next day, they worked at the site, and they found many more nuggets of gold. We just got rich, they shouted. Then they vowed that they would not say a word to anyone else. They went to the nearest town for supplies, and on their return, others followed them. And all told, eventually, there was $30 million worth of gold that was mined out of that area. The original group of men had discovered the site and not told a single soul of their discovery. And so they asked those that followed them, how did you know? How did you know? And they said, you're beaming Face betrayed your secret. If you learn the lesson of this psalm, the expression on your face, the words out of your mouth, 
And the way you live your life will betray your secret. Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that we can call on you in fearful situations. Know that you are there, that you surround us. And Lord, we confess we don't praise you enough. But thank you. Thank you for giving to us your great grace and faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.